Hey, and welcome to Deeper Than Data, the podcast where we get to know the scientists deeper than their science to find out they love bacteria and science communication even more. Plus, they write fantasy novels on the side. Or that they will definitely get to that movie you recommended to me two years ago. I promise it's just been like so busy recently. Maybe that's just me, your host, Ben Rush. Up top, if you are digging the podcast, reach out to us. We will give you stickers for free. You will look immediately cooler with one of our stickers on your water bottle, notebook, or even a car. For a sticker, email me at ben at deeperthandata.media. Again, that's ben at deeperthandata.media. This episode is going to be part of a series where you get to know the team members of the podcast. We have four people working on the podcast so far, including me, with our newest member being interviewed today on this very episode. I met her through playing a trading card game called Magic the Gathering, which we often talk too much about, but we keep it minimal during this episode. She also doesn't like space rats, which you'll get at the end. For now, enjoy the episode with Julia Nepper. Julia, thanks for joining me on Deeper Than Data. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Ben. Thanks for having me. How are you? Of course. I am tired, to be honest, but I'm also very happy to have you here. Uh, it's been one of those weeks, but this stuff just motivates me and energizes me, so it'll it'll be a blast. Um, next, your full name and your pronouns. Okay. My name is Julia Nepper, and my pronouns are she, her, and hers. Fantastic. Um, that's also helpful because I don't think I've actually heard your last name in like person ever, although we've known each other for a couple of years, I think at this point. A while, yeah. Yes. Um, and could you give a physical description of yourself, please? Yeah. So I am like medium brown skin, like I'm half black, half white. Um, I'm pretty short, just barely five feet tall. I'm usually wearing big glasses. Um, I have big floofy hair that's down to my shoulders. Um, and I'm very narrow. I'm a thin, thin person. <laughs> and I can often be seen wearing something with a floral pattern. Okay. You're good for like going through alleys. Yes. If I turn sideways, sometimes I disappear. <laughs> Perfect. That's what I, you know, that's why I wanted to have you on the show more than anything else. <laughs> For my disappearing abilities? Are we like planning a heist or something? We like magic, right? That's true. Mm-hmm. And we'll get to that. I've definitely built that into the interview and that is Magic the Gathering for the listeners. Um, next, what are your positions and roles on UW's campus? Um, so my job position is I'm a postdoctoral trainee. Um, so basically I do research, like I've already got my graduate degree, my PhD, um, and I do research in a lab, but I also have a lot of like volunteer things that I do. So like I'm communications director for the UW Postdoc Association. Um, I do a lot of stuff with like our tiny earth project in the lab, which is like more outreach type stuff. Um, yeah, that's that's what I do. 
Cool. And speaking of your postdoc, and like, so you do a lot of these outreach activities, but also some research. How do you describe your research and outreach to family members and friends in about two minutes or less? Um, so if I'm talking to a family member or a friend, um, what I start out with is I am a soil microbiologist right now. Um, so specifically what I study is an area of the soil. It's called the rhizosphere, which is from the Greek rhizosphere. Greek rhizo, meaning root. Um, so basically, it's the plant root microbiome, you know, like the gut microbiome, but plant roots. Um, and my lab studies basically how bacterial communities in the rhizosphere interact with each other and how they interact with plants. And my particular area is a subset of that where I'm looking at um, a very specific interaction between two specific bacteria involving a specific chemical. Yes, science can get very specific. Have you always been working in like microbiology of some sort? So there was a brief time when I was a post-baccalaureate researcher that I studied epigenetics. So that's like, um, that's modifications on the, like on DNA and the proteins that package DNA. Um, and so only eukaryotic non-bacterial organisms have epigenetics. So it was, that was like my only stint doing non-bacteria stuff. Other than that, I've been doing bacteria for like 10 years. Oh, gross, those eukaryotes. <laughs> I know. Like, everyone's so excited about them because humans are eukaryotes, but bacteria is where it's at, in my opinion. <laughs> Fine. I tend to like humans a little bit more. Um, I'm curious, though, who was your first crush? You know, I've actually been thinking about this because you ask this of everyone. Um, and I actually have a, an answer ready. Um, my first crush was a boy named Jacob Di Giovanni in kindergarten. I uh, Well, he might not have been my very first, like it may have been this boy named Alex. I don't remember his last name. Um, so it was either Alexander or Jacob. That was my first crush. And what was it about Jacob? Was there anything in particular? I have no idea. I could not tell you if I had to. <laughs> Just for some reason, I liked him. I wanted to hang out with him. Um, and I wanted us to be good friends. Cool. Nice. That's all you need back then, too. It's There's nothing in particular. Uh, in a way, I feel like it's a more pure love than what we yeah, have. Very it's, simple. Yeah. Very simple. Um, okay. So around that age, when you were uh, crushing on Jacob, did you start to get into science at all? Were you playing in the dirt? putting bugs in your pockets. I feel like the standard stuff, maybe wondering about people's minds. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I th I mean, it's, it's tough to remember quite that far back, but from what my parents tell me, I was definitely, you know, always kind of investigating things, getting into business that I wasn't supposed to be getting into, you know, sort of a prelude to what I would end up doing for a career. <laughs> <laughs> Just messing stuff up. I think that, earliest points of like science for me i loved being in my backyard i had a basically a mud pit i just like i have one large hole that i'd fill up with water and take all my dinosaur figurines and play in that for hours at a time um and i remember potato beetles on i don't even know what plant we had in the backyard but yeah i was just like playing in mud 
yeah i i also like to play in mud quite a bit my mother was not pleased about that yeah i was usually when i was a kid if i was not reading a book i was outside playing in the dirt and the grass and the trees you know i loved being outside were you a clean mud player I felt like I was in the mud, but I was like, the figurines will go in the mud. I myself will stay out of the mud. You know, I became a clean person, but definitely when I was very young, I thought, you know, one bath a week, that's pretty reasonable. Like, that's a good compromise. (laughs) Yeah. And although I said it was like pretty clean, I know for sure there were times where I was too lazy to go in the house to like get something to drink. So I just like drank a bit of mud water to satisfy my thirst. Okay, I don't think I was quite that bad. I usually went for the hose or a particularly clean looking puddle. You know, like it would have to be a clean one. I wanted to establish that gut microbiome as early as possible. See, you wanted to establish your dominance over the mud bacteria. Yeah, you say you like to study it. I like to live it. <laughs> Anyways, so you're into different, like... um you know, playing outside. Uh, did you connect with science in school as well? Um, so yes and no. I mean, so I was homeschooled when I was a kid until high school. Um, so from second grade to high school, I was homeschooled and we were pretty poor. So we didn't have, you know, I wasn't doing like cool science labs or anything. I always wanted to do that kind of stuff, but I didn't really have access to it. Um, so I, I didn't actually get to doing that kind of stuff until I was in college, really. Mm-hmm. I see. Yeah. I'm curious. So I know you've started college uh, pretty young. Did you have other people like mentor you leading up to that point? I'm, I'm curious, one, how you transitioned from being homeschooled into going to college when you're at age 11. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I didn't, yeah, I didn't have any mentors at the time. Like I was, I was pretty socially isolated when I was a kid. Like I mostly just saw my parents and, you know, like I had a friend that I would see at church. Um, And so, yeah, I didn't have any mentors again until I got to college. Um, And the whole transitioning to college thing was definitely not my idea because I had no idea that someone could do that. Like, I didn't know. I certainly didn't think that I was special enough to be able to go to college when I was super young. You know, I thought that was something that other people did. Um, But, you know, I guess like my parents, thought that just the school system wasn't going fast enough for me. And my dad got the idea that maybe I could do college. And um, when I was during the brief time that I went back to public school after being homeschooled, I took the SAT and I did really well on it. And so he was like, well, let's just apply to college. And so then um, I actually did like half a semester as in like I was half time at high school for a semester and then also taking a college class. It was kind of like a trial type thing to see if I could be in a college classroom. Um, And then that went fine. I did fine in the class. So we 
went to a higher trial. You know, I took a harder class during the summer. That went fine. And then my dad just wrote a diploma that said I was accelerated through everything. And I went to college full time, (laughs) which is apparently a thing you can do in North Carolina if you're homeschooled. I went to high school with someone who was also taking those college classes. Um, He was a bit more of an a-hole than I can imagine you being. But yeah, what were you like? I can I can only imagine you're being f- mixed around with lots of people of different ages in different environments, and it was probably making you think like, what is going on, and also who am I? Sort of. I mean, I was, you know, I was again very young, so like I didn't, you know, I wasn't into like self discovery or anything like that. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't really thinking deep thoughts yet. I occasionally said something that was kind of smart, but I, you know, I wasn't really that precocious of a child. Um, But now you use precocious. Exactly. Now (laughs) I know big words like that and I use them to show off. Um, So, yeah, like I said, I was pretty socially isolated. So when I went to any sort of school, I was just excited that there were people around. I was like, cool, I can interact with someone that's not my dad. (laughs) That's great. And it was definitely a little weird because everyone was at least twice my age. Um, Pretty hard to make friends. Didn't really start making friends, you know, didn't really get past acquaintance phase with anyone until I was a senior because then I was looked just old enough to pass for being like just young looking and not obviously young. Oh yeah. That would, that'd be difficult, but I'm glad that you were still able to like be around people, enjoy that time as well. During that time in college, did you start selecting science courses to dive deeper into that? Yeah, definitely. So First, I went to a community college because, um, you know, it's it's cheaper. It was probably a little easier to get into. Probably, like, I think my parents thought that it might be a little easier because, you know, class sizes are smaller and that sort of thing. Um, and while I was in community college, my dad picked all of my courses for me and scheduled everything for me. But then when I graduated and went to university, went to the local university, that's when I took over and started, like, I would change my majors when I felt like it, which was not infrequently. You know, I would add or remove minors. I would figure, I would go meet with my advisors and figure out what all my schedule was going to be. And from the start, I was like a science major. Like I wanted to be a veterinarian for a really long time. So I was a bio major. And then eventually, you know, I figured out that I didn't just want to be a bio major. I like thought the chemistry was cooler than bio in undergrad. Yeah, cool. And this, at this point, you are you age 17? <laughs> 27. 27. Okay, gotcha. Um, oh, you oh. mean like in real time? Oh, I meant sorry. like in your that, story. <laughs> oh, in my story, in my story. Yeah, so I transferred to the university um, when I was 14. So I turned 15 during my first year at university. And I'm also imagining, maybe I'm wrong, um, 
if you weren't around a lot of people, then you start going to university, you get exposed to all different sorts of things. Is this when you learned how to play Magic the Gathering? No, Magic the Gathering did not come until much later. Um, it happened during a conference while I was in grad school. So a friend of mine brought some decks with him just in case he had time to play. And he taught me, he'd actually tried to teach me how to play before, like a couple of years before, but he didn't do a great job of it and he just stomped me. So I didn't like it that much. <laughs> But coming back to it, I he did a better job. And I was like, oh, this is actually really fun. But I'll never build my own deck. Of course, a few months later, I was building my first deck. So that's how that story goes. And so started the sink of money into Magic the Gathering. Absolutely. <laughs> Thousands of dollars just down the cardboard hole. Down the cardboard hole. Um, I'm also curious. So you've been the first person to have a post-back position. So I'm wondering if you can kind of explain what that is and then also what did you do during that? Yeah, so a post-back is, it's like a postdoc, but you haven't graduated grad school, you've only graduated undergrad. So it's it's a research position that you take to, like right after you've graduated with your bachelor's degree. And it's usually for people who don't really know if they want to do science or not, like if they want to go on to graduate school. And so it's a one or two year program that basically it's like mini grad school. It puts you in a lab, you're working, doing research full time. Maybe you take a class or two, but it really gives you an immersive experience as to what it's like to be a researcher. Tight. I'm also wondering, because you are you're really passionate about science communication and have been trying to figure out, um, well, you've done some and also are still continuing to either work on this podcast with me or find an avenue of your own. Did this desire to better improve science communication start around this age too or this phase in your life? No, I think that didn't start until grad school, like probably pretty early in grad school because the lab that I joined um, did a fair amount of outreach. And so pretty quickly, I got kind of wrapped up in this project for like the engineering expo. And that was really fun. I had a great time both designing the experiment that we were going to do at the expo and like actually being there, you know, talking to mostly kids and their parents um, about this experiment, like it's, it was about laminar flow, which if you've never seen laminar flow in action, it absolutely looks fake. And so it's really exciting to see people experience that for the first time. And they're just like, what, what is going on? So for reference, laminar flow is like when, um, when fluids are moving so slowly or in a container that's so small that they don't mix, they just they only mix by diffusion. So it happens very, very slowly. And so when if you have like, you know, a green or a yellow colored liquid and a blue colored liquid coming in from two inlets into the same channel and you have laminar flow going on, they will go into that channel side by side and not mix. And so, you know, of course, everyone's like, oh, when they go in, it's going to be green. Duh. But it's not. And it blows their mind every time. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to conceptualize this right now. And it's uh, it's it's difficult. 
<laughs> yeah, it's counterintuitive for sure. Yeah. I'm imagining essentially the, you know, different colors, but similar separation of Tide Pod green and blues that are just happening down a tube. So I'm also thinking about like the timeline. So you grew up in North Carolina, homeschooled, started some community college there, also did the bachelor's. Did you hop to another place for graduate school? Yeah, you went, you went here. I the did. University of Wisconsin-Madison. Yeah. So I stayed in North Carolina for my post back, but um, I did end up coming to University of Wisconsin-Madison for my PhD. Like of the schools I interviewed at, the grad students seemed the happiest and there were the most professors with interests that I was like, I felt would be interesting to me as well. Um, because of course that's a big thing when you're picking graduate schools, you don't want to go to a school where there's only one person you'd want to work with just in case they don't have any money or they're just not taking new students or, you know, any number of reasons why you wouldn't be able to get into their lab. So this university had like tons of people that were doing cool stuff that I wanted to do. So that was a big reason why I ended up coming here. Nice. How was that transition from North Carolina to Wisconsin for you? Definitely a little chilly. You know, I had to buy a real winter coat, which was very expensive. But I always wanted to live in a place with snow. And honestly, I'd rather be cold than hot. Like the summers in coastal North Carolina are absolute nightmares. Just 95% humidity, 95 degrees outside, absolutely unbearable to be outside. So I vastly prefer Wisconsin to North Carolina. So actually a pretty easy transition in that regard. Well, yeah, I'm glad. I had some family members who grew up in Florida and just went bonkers whenever they visited me in Cincinnati when saw snow. And it's just like the one thing they wanted to do when they were in town is see snow. It's like, we can't really planned for that. Was that transition from North Carolina to Wisconsin easy to meet new people? Was it harder to leave family? Was it hard to leave family or sorry, friend groups? It was a little challenging to do that. But luckily, I didn't have a whole lot of friends to leave behind. And also, you know, they were also like finishing up school and like moving on to new places. So it was kind of just like the natural progression of things. Definitely my, my parents weren't super happy that I was moving a thousand miles away, but you know, I, I turned 18 by that point. So not a lot they could do about it. And I promised to visit, which I did. Um, but it was actually not too hard making friends because I mean, I feel like I had a really good cohort coming into the biophysics program with me. Um, there were eight students, so pretty small, pretty easy to get to know everyone. And for at least the first year or two, we did a really good job of like planning get-togethers and just staying connected so that we had some sort of social interaction outside of just being in lab. And then, you know, that kind of branched out into different, you know, meeting different people. And, you know, now I've just got, you know, a great network of friends here in Madison. So like leaving Madison, I think would definitely be harder for me 
than leaving North Carolina was. That makes sense. And it's much harder to restart your life, I feel like, in your late 20s, early 30s. Like I thought, you know, I went to D.C. recently and I was like, this place is super cool. If I went there, I'd know one person. Right. Yeah, it's pretty scary to just be like, yeah, I'm just going to go to a place where I know absolutely no one. Yeah. I was at the Smithsonian Zoo by myself in the middle of the day because I just, you know, I flew and it was a little vacation for me. And so as a 30-year-old just walking around, 30-year-old man walking around by myself at a zoo, um, I think people are, were just a bit wary of, of me. So I can't imagine like going up to someone and be like, hey, <laughs> I'm just a single man in a zoo by myself. Do you want to be friends? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think you should try that. It, it might work. <laughs> yeah. And Mike, I felt like I got uh, a decent amount of smiles from moms with their kids at the zoos, but I think mostly just to be like, I'm going to just make sure I know this guy's around. Mm -hmm. Just make sure they know like what direction you are and where you're going. It's the meerkats looking at me to make sure like the predator is like, I'm going to just keep an eye on that. But anyway, so yeah, I think it'd be hard to to (laughs) go to other places. So while you're doing the grad program, you're also doing a lot of outreach. Did you feel like this sort of outreach science communication was going to be your end goal while in grad school? I wasn't really sure for a very long time. Um, I was pretty sure I didn't want to be a professor. Like I didn't want to go the academic route because it just, it, it looked like an insane amount of work. And I, I didn't know if I was up to that challenge. I didn't know if I wanted to take on that challenge. So for a long time, I was kind of thinking, you know, I'll probably just go into industry, maybe government research, you know, but I'll probably do research. And but I was I was also always doing a lot of like career development stuff, you know, like going to those seminars that they advertise in the Grad Student Weekly and um, trying to like network and meet new people. Like one time I went to a biotech conference that was in town just to wander around and meet people who worked at local biotech companies. And so I kind of got more ideas about what I could actually do once I got my PhD. And I'd always liked writing and I I really like talking at people about science stuff. So it kind of became clear to me that science communication was probably a good bet for me. Like not probably not super lucrative and maybe a little harder to nab a position in a smaller town like Madison, but it was where my interests and my skills lay. And so that's what I tried to pursue and continue to try to pursue um, in my professional life. I think that's one of the reasons I was excited to have you on here. One to get like an introduction to one of the team members, but also I feel like you've been someone who tries to figure out exactly where your passions lie by actually going and trying different things. It's like you did, you did the grad school route, which is, I think is, you know, basically training you to oftentimes go to academia. You had a website that was about science communication, which I did check out from, <laughs> from researching the guest. Um, you went to industry and then you're doing this postdoc, which 
are all different roles, but is really allowing you to figure out specifically what works well for you. A lot of trial and error. Uh, I don't know if you would agree with that or not. No, I would definitely say that. I, I like to learn by doing. You know, I always like to gather more experiences, you know, not just to get a better idea of what I want to do, but also because, again, I love writing and not just not just about science and stuff like I actually do fictional writing as well. But that's a little, you know, it's a little further behind than my science writing. (laughs) Right. Which is actually a question I was going to ask you about, because I noticed on your website, you said you had a fantasy novel, I believe, that you were working on. Um, I was going to ask, what was, what's that about? Um, so, yeah, I actually had a, a little victory with that this year. I finally finished my first draft after 10 years. <laughs> um, so the book is maybe a little, a little blasphemous if you're very Catholic, um, because in it, spoiler alert, the Pope is a Satanist. And there's this ex-monk turned thief, like ringleader, who tries to rob the Vatican, fails, and gets roped into this task so that he doesn't immediately get murdered by the Satanist Pope. And so it follows this ex-monk's story in trying to complete this task. Great. Well, Julia, I was raised Catholic and I can already feel my my blood boiling. But I'm not, yeah, I'm not religious or anything like that. My my grandma, who actually turned 97 yesterday, may have some concerns. But she's pretty cool too at the same time. It's it's just fiction, you know, not based on any real characters. So hopefully that softens it a little bit. Okay. I'm gonna move on from grad school for you and thinking about like your industry career. I think you were working in industry for a year or two, and it just wasn't the right fit, but it probably gave you some good skills or perspective at least. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I worked at a local biotech company called Promega. Um, I was a science writer there, and and I was actually in the marketing department, if you can believe it. Um, And I was really excited about the position when I started because it seemed... I mean, science writer was like basically the title that I wanted. It was exactly what I wanted to be doing. Um, The only thing was, you know, once I really got into it, it was it was a little more like actual marketing than I wanted it to be. Um, And also, like there was some technical writing involved, which I think since then they've kind of like reorganized the department so that the creative writing and the technical writing people are different. But at the time, I also had to do a lot of technical writing. So like, you know, editing technical manuals and stuff. And I wasn't on board with that. I was like, eh, I don't really want to do this. Um, and so that's, that's kind of why I decided that I wanted to come back to academia. Well, why I decided I wanted to come back to academia is because I wanted to take advantage of the university resources again, to start trying more things, making more connections, and, you know, kind of move on to the next big thing. Because I didn't feel like the job at Promega was, I didn't feel like it was my end step. You know, I didn't feel like that was what I was striving for in my career. And so I was like, I'll just move on to something else. I think that's the beauty of the postdoc and 
you know, I've had a few people describe their postdoc positions on this podcast or when I tried to explain, you know, my next step possibly as a postdoc and something uh, to friends and family. The postdoc is, it allows a flexibility of continuing the same projects you've been working on. If it's like your previous graduate experiences or going back to that, it could be a completely new field. It could be a mixture of outreach, volunteering, and some research. It's this very amorphous position, which may last a couple months to a couple years. And not every single field has them, but most do. And it kind of just depends on money sometimes. It's mostly just like, yeah, we, you have a degree and we have some money. Let's talk and try to create this position. Yeah. Postdoc is amorphous is definitely the correct word. It's a very fluid and um, undefinable position. Yes. Um, if a postdoc was a person, they'd probably have like a really large picture like of a wolf on their shirt. I think like howling at the moon. They're kind of like out there a little bit, but they're also really cool. And you're just like, I don't know why, but I'm just drawn to this person. Ben, are you telling me that you have bought the Three Wolf Moon shirt? I just won't tell you how many copies of that I have uh, in my closet right now. Well, I guess I can't really razz you for it too much because I have a, a version of it that's three sloths. Um, because <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a sloth enthusiast. See, I wasn't that far off. I also bet you'd probably get this question a lot. And maybe I won't even ask it. I was going to ask you, like, what's your next step in life that you think? But you're at this interesting position. Maybe I'm also wrong about this, where um, you definitely have a background of skills. You know, if you've done your work, your, your, your graduate degrees, you've been in industry outreach. And as a postdoc, I think oftentimes the next point is kind of like your, your big career step whatever large first position that you have. Do you feel like you're in between like the junior kind of scientists and then starting the more like, I don't even know about senior, but like established scientists pulled between like the nexus of those two worlds? That's, that's an interesting question. Um, I mean, I guess, you know, it's it's actually funny that you ask that because it's actually just very recently that I started in my mind identifying as a scientist because before I was kind of always just someone who did science, but now I feel like I've been in it long enough that I actually feel validated in thinking, okay, yeah, I'm a scientist. So along those lines, I don't know. It's tough to say because on the one hand, you know, since I just started feeling that way, it makes it sound like I feel more junior, but it also makes me feel a little bit more senior because I feel like a real scientist now. So I, I don't know. I guess it depends on how I'm feeling when you ask me that question. Yeah. I'm curious like, if there was a specific moment that went that way. And also, like, I do think that is a big step because Oftentimes, graduate students and I think even early career faculty and probably faculty still that are like 20 years in having this imposter syndrome. And so having this like mental switch is like, no, this is actually what I do. 
I am a scientist versus a person who does science is probably like a pretty big landmark. Yeah, it definitely felt like it. I don't, I don't remember. I, I feel like it was kind of like an epiphany moment. Like there were some smaller things leading up to it, you know, especially since now that I'm back in the postdoc, everyone calls me a scientist again and introduces me as a scientist when I meet new people. And that kind of helped. But I feel like there was just this moment where I was thinking about it for some reason. I was like, oh, I guess I'm a scientist. I guess it's not just something I do. It's something I am. And I was just like sitting in my living room. I don't remember what I was doing. <laughs> eating chips. <laughs> Probably. Uh, chips are very, eating chips is very meditative, very cathartic. Yeah, that's interesting. Are you, do you get tired of people asking like, what are you going to do next? Because, and, and I don't know your postdoc position, but could you leave at any moment if an opportunity presents itself? I suppose technically I could, you know, I could, I could reasonably transition to something like within the next year. And um, I feel very fortunate that my advisor is pretty, um, pretty respectful of those decisions and like really, you know, just wants to help move things forward and like help me advance my career in whatever way that I see fit. You know, like, of course, getting my science done, doing my research, finishing up my project, getting papers, but also, you know, having an eye towards what's the next step and what can I do to move me towards that. Right. And I, and it's so wonderful to have advisors that recognize you as a whole person and know that you're not done developing no matter what age, uh, I feel very fortunate to have one that has let me explore doing this podcasting into a business, uh, working with a city in different capacities in the past. I feel like our mutual friends are in a little bit of this pool that I would call like people with side hustles <laughs> in a way. Because I think everyone's trying to like work a little bit on the side and earn some extra cash. And, and is at the same time, explore like the interests that they have about the world. Um, I don't know if you'd agree with that. So I, I definitely would agree that um, we have some side hustlers, you know, true millennials in that, <laughs> in that regard. And I think, I mean, usually not for money because I, I don't know, maybe I'm just not that good at negotiating or, you know, I, I don't know. I just, I mostly have not done side hustles for actually actual money. It's just been for experience. Um, but I've, I've kind of always been doing more than just my job title. Like when I was in grad school, I was always involved in like, you know, clubs and stuff, like doing professional development stuff for other grad students, doing Aikido, um, you know, doing like graduate women in science stuff. And, you know, when I was at ProMega, like I had fewer opportunities because, you know, I was not on campus anymore. So there was fewer people who were like doing the sort of extracurriculars that I was interested in like outreach and science communication, but I still managed to keep some of those connections and, you know, like do stuff at the science festival and um, do stuff with professors on campus. And then now as a postdoc, you know, like 
I'm doing this podcast with you now. And, you know, I'm like part of the postdoc association. And, you know, there's just, I've always got many different things going on. It's like the only way it's really the only way for me to exist, which is weird because I consider myself a very lazy person. <laughs> but I feel like I do better if I have to allocate a certain amount of time to doing something. Because otherwise, I just procrastinate too much. And if it's like, I have two hours, I have to do all of these things before I get to my next thing. It's a lot easier for me to just get, get down, get dirty, get it done. So one thing I'm I'm curious about myself, and maybe it's similar to you, I have just had this drive to do, like you, a lot of different things. And I don't really know why, besides it just seems to work and I enjoy it. I've also wondered, like, I feel like I also have this drive to accomplish something that's big. I also don't know what, and I feel like the... The groups that I've been part of, I've definitely always enjoyed, but also in the back of my mind, it's like, okay, this will help me get to the next step, whatever, like whatever the end goal is. Do you have a similar mentality? I think at this point, what I, what I think that I want to do is a little more well-defined because um, I, I don't know, I think I've had enough experience doing science adjacent things because I do want to be adjacent to science like I don't I don't actually want to do science research is very difficult and demoralizing as I'm sure you know so I'd rather talk about the people doing the science than actually do it myself but I do want to you know still be near science and like I've I've kind of experienced in some way or another the major routes that people think of when they're in grad school and they're trying to figure out what to do. You know, like I've done some science policy stuff. I've done SciComm. I've done outreach. I've done some teaching. You know, I've done all of these different things. And what I keep coming back to and what I find myself doing with my free time when I get the opportunities is always science communication, like always coming back to that. And so you know, I think I'm pretty flexible in terms of what I would actually do with that. But I think that whatever I end up doing, I want it to be science communication. It's such an important realization too, because that takes years to realize what you like to do in your free time, what you're reading, what you're good at, your strengths and values, and how those actually all come together. And since doing this podcast and having the realizations like, I'm actually gearing myself up to get paid to talk to fun, interesting people. Like, that blows my mind. Um, you know, someone hired me to do voice narration recently. It's like, you, one, you think I'm capable and qualified to do this. And also you like this voice that much? Like, sure, I'll try it. I don't get it. But yeah, I'll let you pay me to do that. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to take the opportunities you get because, I mean, that's a lot of, I feel like that's a lot of the experiences that I've had is just, you know, I come across an email that says, hey, apply for this thing. And, you know, everyone deletes the email, but I'm like, okay, sure. I'll apply. 
and then I get in and like that's like one of the most exciting like amazing experiences of my life was going to this conference called the Lindau Nobel Laureate Conference which is a conference where there's a bunch of young scientists I think there was like 700 at this conference and then there's like 60 or 70 Nobel Prize winners and they all give talks and you get to like meet them and have dinner with them and do workshops with them and it's just like I kind of you know like prizes I'm not so I'm not so impressed by you know but I was I was actually really surprised like all of the people almost all of the people who were at this conference were amazing speakers and just had amazing stories to tell and so it was just it was an amazing experience and i mean for any grad students out there apply for it because it's cool as shit (laughs) yeah that sounds really cool it makes me think of the concept of flow which you may you may have heard of where it's just like a, a mental state you can be in where you just lose track of time and you are just completely focused I'm imagining either being at the conference or when you're doing outreach, you may be in that state of flow. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's not that you turn your brain off. It's just that you're, it's like your whole brain becomes dedicated to just, you know, like providing information and also like trying to read the other person and see like, okay, is what I'm saying landing? Do I need to explain it slightly different? Like, are they interested? Are they, you know, am I losing them? Um, And, you know, I was not very socially graceful when I was younger. Um, I like to think that I've gotten a lot better and that now I can actually kind of, you know, just talk to people and like come up with things on the spot to say. And that's, that's a skill that I have purposefully developed over the years, like trying to put myself in situations where I have to do those sorts of things. Do you have like a favorite audience that you like to communicate with? Yeah, I would say probably like, I don't know, like adults, just generally adults who are interested in science. Because one thing that actually kind of bugs me about outreach is that the majority of it seems to be targeted towards children, which is, of course, great because we want to turn kids on to science and show, you know, kids that they can do science too. But I also want to speak to the science curious grown-ups out there who, you know, maybe haven't taken a science class since high school biology, but, you know, they want to know what CRISPR-Cas9 is because they keep hearing about it in the news. Um, so that's that's really where I want to focus my efforts on communicating science. I, I agree. You know, having those kids learn about science and get curious about it and stay curious about science is vital. But so are the people who had ex- bad experiences in high school were told they weren't going to be good at science or had a bad grade because their interaction with biology was based on memorization versus gardening versus cooking. If it's like for chemistry, 
like we're all scientists, whether we want to believe it or not. But I think oftentimes it's just is beaten out of us in some sort of way. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause you know, even when, and I like to tell people this, um, it's like, if, if you do something and you get a result and then you change what you do the next time based on that result, you just did science. Like that's literally like testing a hypothesis, you know, analyzing the data and going back with a new hypothesis. Like we're doing it all the time, every day, all of us. Yeah. And I don't know if this is like more selfish too, or just like how I want society to progress, but those adults that may be science curious also have money and voting power. And that affects all of us. So if we can get people more competent, I don't even know if competent is the right word, but open to science as a process and understanding those facts, then I think it would benefit all of society. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, although I want to, because I, I have done um, some some training in life, like, you know, social science research and like science communication research, I kind of want to push back against that whole idea of facts, which may seem weird for a scientist, but like, there's just no thing as absolute fact, right? Like, it's all dependent on perspective. And so what's really important is that people have open minds and are willing to change their worldview based on something that, you know, seems to make more sense than whatever they're thinking right now. But even with, you know, what we consider facts, like the real, the real issue is what we do with those facts. You know, that's, that's where the policy comes into play. Like science gives us facts, you know, data points, and then, you know, like this much lead in the water will give you brain cancer, but it's, you know, the policymakers who decide, okay, this is how much potential brain cancer we're willing to allow in our water to consider it safe drinking water. No, I think that's really powerful too. Um, I think a lot of the times this came up in a previous episode too, is we are, sometimes are so beholden to data that we forget how it's applied or even forget that the data that we have sometimes is just like one slice of the whole entire universe. And so we try to get the best information out of that, which eventually we may call fact, but it isn't always necessarily the case. And it's based on perspective, whoever did the study, um, you know, the, the rigorousness of the study. As we are getting closer to the end, um, I wanted to ask you some maybe more open-ended questions. What piece of advice do you wish you knew at the beginning of your career? I think that would probably be that you're going to fail over and over and over and over again, especially since you decided to go into science, it's going to be a lot of failure. And that's not a personal failing. It's just part of the learning process. Um, and I think like, cause for a long time, school was really easy for me. And so I didn't, really experience failure that much you know like I passed all my classes with no problems when I finally started experiencing failure it was very crushing to me 
um, because it just it wasn't something that I knew could happen to me, basically. Um, and if I had, I don't know if I if knowing that would have prepared me because I wouldn't have known it deep down. But it, maybe at least someone saying it to me would have made it feel a little less horrible. Yeah. Or at least just like saying it's very common and everyone experiences it. Yeah. It still sucks. <laughs> regardless. Yeah, you probably won't uh, enjoy it, but it's going to happen. Don't worry about it. It's normal. Cool. And then my last open-ended question, and this will help me too, working with you on the podcast uh, what is a personality trait that you really like about yourself and what is one that you're hoping to improve on? I really like my openness to new experience. You know, as long as like, I don't really like doing new things alone. I like to share experiences, but if I have a friend or two that, you know, they're like, Hey, let's go skydiving. I'm like, okay, sure. Let's do it. Why not? You know, I'll do it at least once and try it. Something that I'd like to work on is definitely my procrastination. Like I am a serial procrastinator. I all like I show up to things just barely on time or like five minutes late. I, you know, I'm working on stuff that's due tomorrow at midnight. You know, I, I just always procrastinate. And I think that, you know, coming back to the whole failure thing is because I'm just absolutely mortified of feeling at anything still, even though I know like it's normal and I have to do it, you know, especially in lab, I feel like I'm wasting reagents, I'm wasting time, you know, and, and it's just a thing that I have to do. But, you know, if it's a new thing, I'm worried that it's not going to work. I'm going to have to do it again. I'm not going to know why it didn't work. I'm going to have to do it like six times before it works. And so I just avoid it (laughs) for so long. So that's something I've been working on for a long time and continue to try to improve. Are you a natural perfectionist? Yes, absolutely. Same. Yeah. I want things to be perfect the first time. And I, yeah, sounds like you're the same. Yeah, I uh, always have to keep telling myself, like, perfect is the opposite of done. Exactly. And most of life works pretty well when you put in 80 to 88% of your work. Also just makes me think of like evolution, like whatever evolves is good enough at that point. It's not the most (laughs) optimum. It's just like works. And I'm just trying to be like evolution. <laughs> yeah, evolution is, yeah, certainly not perfect. Like our eyeballs designed to work underwater. So that's not smart, but it works good enough for now. Yeah, or that lead tastes sweet. Is that why children love to eat paint? That is right. Yeah, it's specifically lead paint. It's very sweet to them. This is a parenting podcast and <laughs> <laughs> at the end of this. <laughs> Quick PSA, don't let your kids eat uh, lead paint. Or probably any paint. You know, just avoid paint eating. Oh, that's even better advice. See, this is why the whole team. Uh, Yes, and it. Perfect. And speaking of yes, anding, um, we are going to go on to our game. And before I tell you what we're going to be doing, I do need some suggestions from you. So first, I need a made-up name. I'm just like looking around my house to look for words. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, the first thing I saw was a Star Trek poster. Um, let's 
go Yamaya. Yamaya. All right. Next, I need a cuddly animal. A rat. A rat. Okay. And this, I actually do need to talk about magic a little bit. I was going to ask your favorite commander in Magic the Gathering. Shuyum, the Silent Tempest. And uh, a superpower that you'd love to have. The ability to stop time. Yeah, most people go for flying. Not me. I want to stop time. Take a quick nap if I need it. <laughs> so you can still move around time? Yes. In that, okay. I'd go for teleporting. I think that'd be pretty rad. Okay, so here's, here's our prompt. And we're just improvise a scene based on this. So we, because we were both into science fiction and fantasy, I thought, like, let's go to outer space. We are space explorers in the future. We just landed on planet Yamaya, home to giant rats. <laughs> We've been sent on a quest to return the galactic president's Shuyu, the Silent Tempest card, as it was stolen from her from Space Pirates. Using our tech suit's ability to stop time, we will try to retrieve the card and survive any giant rats and Space Pirates that we see along the way. Okay, that sounds like quite an adventure. Oh yeah, we just landed. We'd run anybody or giant rats. You may have to make them up at the same time. Ready? Commander Julia, we've landed on Yamaya. Is your helmet secure? Yes, uh, Lieutenant Ben. My helmet is very secure. Thank you for asking. Is uh, the giant rat detector functioning appropriately? Boop, boop, boop. It seems we're giant rat free at this point in time. But Commander Julia, I'm afraid this might not be the case for us much longer. But for now, I would take the first steps that we've had on planet Yamaya. Well, that's... I actually wanted to take the first steps. I'm a little sad that you're taking that from me. But it's okay. I value you as my lieutenant. And I think this is a good growth opportunity for you. Just be careful, because I see some giant footprints over in that direction. Those do look like giant space rat footprints. And I also appreciate the pep talk because it'll probably make me feel better when I have to run into these giant space rats because I'm also seeing a bunch of giant fur around too. I hope that you brought your space sword because I actually forgot mine on Earth. So I'm going to be relying on you to protect us from the space rats while we retrieve the card. And this is why I took the first step instead of you, Commander. <laughs> you know, Lieutenant, that actually makes a lot of sense. I don't even know why they made me commander of this voyage, because I've never even been to space before. Well, you better get used to it, because I think I hear some space pirates in the distance. Pew, 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 pew. Oh, no. Get behind me. Wait, no. I'll get behind you. You have the space sword. Wait. Let's just stop time. Yeah, let's just stop time. <laughs> All right. Wow. Okay, we're here. We just want to like walk over directly to get this card. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, then we can get out of the way of those, those laser beams that seem to be coming directly towards us. You know, hopefully those will miss us. 
Um, yeah, let's just, where is this card? Anyways. Um, well, according to my Magic the Gathering Commander card tracker, it is uh, about a thousand knots east. Ah, well, here it is. We can finally give it back to the Galactic President. But do we want to give it back? I've heard this card is very powerful. Should we leverage this for some intergalactic ships or power? I would love to be an intergalactic empress. Do you think the president could make that happen? Do you think if we convince these space rats and space pirates that we might have an army ourselves? Commander, do you trust me? That's an odd question, Lieutenant. But yes. One second. Boop. Now, time is back to normal. Uh, Space Pirates, do you want to join our intergalactic army? Yeah, we'd love to. Wow, that was so easy. How did you convince them with a mere question? I think they're just, you know, they're seen as space pirates, but not space people. And we, we just wanted them to be on our team. Hey, giant rats, do you want to be part of our intergalactic army? Squeak, squeak. We love it. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been a fortunate turn of events. I'm ready to take over the galaxy with you. I am also ready to take over the galaxy. But I don't think I need a partner to do it. <gasps> I'm going to take up my intergalactic space sword that you don't have. And uh, I'm going to do a little uh, stabby stabby. Oh, this didn't work out. And now I am bleeding through my spacesuit. Why? Cruel world. Why must I die on this giant rat planet? Hey, they're my friends. Don't you dare talk about my rat friends like that. Yeah, we're pretty cool. You cursed rats! I also now know maybe not to trust you if we get a giant deal for this podcast. I think there, there might be betrayal in your heart somewhere. You know, my my um, storytelling person is different from my person. We're different people, you know, just a character. It's kind of just going with the flow, trying to vibe and, you know, move things along. Get yeah. some intrigue, some twists. Sure. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah, so listeners, if I uh, disappear anytime soon... It's probably the giant rats. Okay, we'll go with that. Thanks for listening to Deeper Than Data. I didn't expect to be betrayed by my teammate this early in the podcast game, but life is certainly full of unexpected turns, whether it's allying yourself with space pirates or starting college at 11. Until next time, be well. Deeper Than Data was produced and created by me, Ben Rush. Music by me, Ben Rush. Some audio editing, technical expertise, marketing, social media, all by Jeff and Lordy, Lauren Schrader, and Julia Nepper. I'm going to briefly pause. Does your um, headset have the ability to move the microphone like a slightly away? Because I think the hard P sounds are coming through. And this, I think, should get rid of that. Okay. But Post this that. will Post all that. be... Better? Yeah, just <laughs> postdoc, postdoc. <laughs> Julia, who are you? Postdoc. Thanks for listening. <laughs>